Uh, how you guys doing? Good. You guys doing all right? It's great. Do you guys have finals coming up yet? Not yet. Okay, you guys are lucky. I'm like smack dab in the middle of some stuff. But I'm happy to be here. Can you guys hear me? Okay, okay. Maybe I can't hear myself. Um, uh, I have a word for you guys. That's something that's kind of been on my heart for a little bit. Uh, did you guys hear like all the sermons that from the guest speakers that have been coming for the past few weeks? So if you haven't, they're up on the podcast right now. So if you weren't there, please go and listen back to it. Um, for not this, was it this past week that Rabbi came? And then the week before, it was Pastor Byung, right? And so Pastor Byung came, and then he preached on a word about invitation, about how God meets you where you are. It's not that you seek him out, but God comes into the midst of you where you are. He's the one who recognizes you, and he's the one who he invites himself into your life. And then Rabbi Matthew came and he gave a perspective of how you guys are the light of the world and how God works in and through you to be the light of the world. And he shared all these kind of really crazy stories about how he goes around and ministers to people and all these exciting things that God does through his life, right? I kind of like the story about where he was walking around in Dongdaemun and he was like with this shamanist or something like that and he was just like praying in tongues around that shamanist and the shamanist was like, oh my God, who are you? Stop praying in that name of Jesus. I can't like defeat you or something. That's kind of crazy stuff that's happening, right? God works in miracles and wonders. And life with God is actually really, really exciting if you think about it that way. I remember my journey with the Lord. I mean, I'm still on my journey with God. But I remember the very first time that God entered into my life. It was after a long, long season of just like, you know, partying around and fooling around and stuff like that, that God met me. It's not that I was really seeking out God. And I read this book called Crazy Love, and all of a sudden, my eyes just opened. I don't know what happened. I was just like, oh my God, God loves me. He's been loving me this entire time. It didn't matter what I did. I remember I couldn't live my life the same way. I looked out the window, and I was like, oh, it's greener. Like, oh, the sky's really blue. Like, everything is the same, but everything is... I really wish I could, like have like a camera to show you guys like what I was seeing with my eyes. It was that like, you know, just like Zacchaeus, after he met Jesus, he sold, he repaid every time's fold, right? To bless these people and repenting of what he did. I didn't do away completely from whatever lifestyle that I was living. And it wasn't because I was like, oh my God, I love God so much. Like this was like nothing, like smoking, nothing. Shh, throw it all a party with Jesus at church. You know, that's kind of like the life that I started living. And the tongues, like my prayer life kind of soared to another level. Like I remember sometimes in the room, just like praying for like three hours. It'd be so blissful. I'd go on the streets and like I would see somebody. I'd be like, oh, that person needs some encouragement. And I just go up to him. It's like, wow, my life is like coming alive with God. Life is so different. And I've experienced stage doesn't always last all the time. It doesn't always stay that way. Nor does it continue. My eyes actually opened to the gospel message and where I saw that the grass was greener was about, I think that stage kind of maintained for like about a year. And then the exciting start stuff started to happen and then routine. Oh, yeah, reading my Bible. Yeah, praying. Oh, yeah, praise God. I love God. But, and then I remember, I remember saying to myself, like, is this it? Is this 
Oh God, tell me again, like who I am? Can you tell me one more time how much you love me? And yes, it does bless me. I felt like, wow, it's gotten a little bit dull. He writes a lot. Okay, I don't. Need, I probably butchered his name, but he's like a really famous uh, guy who writes a lot of essays. I know a lot of Korean readers love to read his stuff, and he he in general. So he'll write about people walking on the street, and like some of the psychology that goes behind people live a certain way. And one thing that he writes about love. There's a whole essay about love, and one that he writes about is this: is as we seem to know far too much how love. We know so much about how love starts, how it begins, what it feels like. We maintain that love life. Isn't that what we're filled with in our culture, right? Every love was like sparks, you know, flying, whatever, right? But we never really hear about what the couples, when they're getting married or they're getting engaged, we hear about the first time they met, when the moment they knew. But we don't really hear about the daily grind that they have to go to after they get married, right? About the relationship that we have with God. That it's not just about simply God loving us with God. It takes two, right? Yes, God's love, He first loves us, and there's love that is unconditional. It has nothing to do with what we do for Him. Move on forward in this love relationship to build intimacy. And so Deuteronomy chapter 6, it's the fifth book of the Bible. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 to 9. Verse 4 to 9. Okay, wow, that's so weak. Are you guys there? (laughs) Okay. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to you, by the way, and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign. You shall write them on your doorposts of your house and on your gates. Amen. You know, there's the Torah or like the Pentateuch that the Jews, they recite heritage of the Jewish people, right? And this is at the very last book of that whole thing. You know, like the journey that they've gone through, right? In Genesis, there was the beginning and then Adam and then sin entered Abraham and he made a promise to Abraham, I'm going to bless the nations. Uh, through you, I'm going to bless the nations. And then there comes Isaac and Jacob and then the whole wrestling story and then Joseph leaves the Egyptians. And then comes Exodus, right? Where they're under slavery and God has to deliver them on their journey to the promised land. And from there, things get a little rocky. It's not as glorious as it... They, you know, they complained about being thirsty and then the Lord gave them the Ten Commandments. All these things. Just to give you a little bit more of the story of how it led to God giving them this this command. Egypt, right? They were brought out of slavery and then they were wandering in the desert. They were wandering in the desert and learning how to do life with them. No, God was not learning. They were learning how to do life with God, right? Egyptian customs. As they were being enslaved in the nation of Egypt, by their culture, what kind of culture they live by, even though they did maintain the culture of the Hebrew. What happened is God needed to kind of pull that all out of them because he can't be worshipped the same way that other idols. Different environment from what they were used to and he was going back okay let's take this to the this is how you interact with me step three and he's kind of teaching them along the way and it's just taking them a little long time they go through different trials and errors when when god sinai and while the people were waiting they got a little antsy they're like oh my god god said that he was going to bring this thing worship him 
he'll come or he'll answer more quickly. And so they make a golden calf. Now they can appease God because that's what they were used to. When God was trying to teach them, that's not how they go through these trials and all these things. Then comes the book of Leviticus. The book of Leviticus, of Leviticus, if you understand like the deeper meanings behind it, it becomes really rich. But before the blood, huh? You know, it's kind of confusing, right? You don't really understand. But the whole point of God is a holy God. He is really set apart from who we are and so he's setting some protection or like boundaries so that we won't be destroyed before his presence with me this is how you relate to me and he's laying down all these safety guards and ground rules for us and then there's from there there's further hiccups further mistakes these people keep messing up and then to the promised land by this time the former generation, they already passed away. They didn't see all those miraculous works that God did. Who didn't receive the Ten Commandments coming down from Mount Sinai. land. He is telling them, look, this is the command that God gave to your fathers. Which for this chapter 6 is chapter 5. is He's going through the Ten Commandments once again. And so he goes, and this ship God alone. You shall not make any idols. Don't kill. Don't commit adultery. You know, you know what it means or how you need to relate to God. And then at the very, boils down to this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the worship, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, your emotions, everything should be a love unto God. Now, does that mean that it's conditional? No, it doesn't mean that it's conditional. Does it mean that? No. God made it very clear from the very beginning of Genesis that no matter how many times they affect himself into their story, into their narrative, into their mess, to deliver them out of what? Always saying, hey, I'm with you. I am here for you. Let me deliver you out of these things for them. And make sure that there's plans set up for them that they would be delivered. That's the whole story of Joseph out from famine. So God loves, remains, it has nothing to do with what we do. And he makes that very clear. But what this shows, how we relate to him, has an effect on how he feels. The ancient Near East culture back in the day, right? Because, you know, it wasn't just the Hebrew God. The Hebrew God was set up. The other gods from the different culture, like the Egyptian culture or like the other... Their myth or their lore that they tell throughout their generations is observed. And the only reason why they do that is because they don't want to be punished. The Hebrew God that we serve. So, for example, when they when God said, okay, keep this. Yes, out of love, God is putting that command. But in the same culture, there was a very work more. So every seventh day, they would have to do all these rituals and prepare all these food and all these. It was like, hey, I'm a God that's set apart. I want you guys to rest. Rest and relate with me to it. So God made it so clear. But we can see that throughout these, don't honor what he's actually saying or don't honor him because they fail to love him. It's more like, oh my God, I love you guys so much. And it really breaks my heart that you guys aren't. That's why Moses is giving this command. You guys got to remember to love your God with all that you have. Do it out of a love for God. Now this love... It's called, it's from the stem word, ahava. Everybody say ahava. T to someone that you love. So ahava, the best relationship in the Bible that I can, they had such a bond or like a loyalty to one another that, and these things, it affects the way that they interact with each other. They do things together. They 
make sure that each other is safe. They serve one another. That this is saying. So what they're saying to God is show that kind of a deep loyalty or that deep Make sure that you serve him and obey him. It's a very similar relationship that a lot. But although that this word is used, many scholars today, when they study this all the way from Genesis up to Deuteronomy, what they're seeing is that this love is the promise first, interjects first, pours out first the love that never changed God because you've received such a love, right? This kind of a love is called a hesed, where it's a covenantal love. It's a love that can't really be broken. It's a love that only the way you take it back is when you die. That's the covenant that God makes with his people. Because we're secure in the covenant love that God has, knowing that we can't mess reverence for him. We're like, wow, God, you're so merciful in your ways. I It's no longer like, oh, I got to obey these ways to just appease God or to please him. Or because it's a joy to walk in his ways. Because you're so secure in that trouble. Because God made a covenant with you guys, right? God made a covenant with his people. You want to, out of the overflow of that covenant love. You obey his commands. You Scholars say that this has said love is actually, it looks like a relationship, marriage vow. The marriage vow, what do you guys say when people, not what do you guys, but like, what do people say when vows? They say, I will love you for better, and in health, till death do us part, I will choose to love you. Yes, Jay, <laughs> that's what you say, right? It's an unbreakable kind of a promise that your condition in the love that I am giving you and that I'm promising you for the rest of my life. It's like the husband to his bride, his people, his church. That's the relationship that I realized as you guys were growing up in Sunday school or if this whole gospel message is new to you guys. We've been saying over and over again that you guys don't need to do that. You're already accepted in his eyes because of the blood of Jesus. If our relationship with God is indeed like a husband and a wife, how about the wife also pour the love back to God and minister to him? Um, I spend a lot of time mainly with Pastor David and his wife, Sajong. They're really good friends of mine. And when I look, they, you know, it, it's like the really small things that they set up for, you know, what each other likes. You know, a couple of weeks ago, it was Hajong's birthday and I wife want. And he's like, oh, yeah, like she likes this and this, but she doesn't like this and wanted anything in this season. Or, you know, he'll be very specific. He knows exactly what he wants. Why? Because he's always keen to know what his wife loves because he loves her. He, you know, so when you go to their house, you'll notice that they leave their toothbrush outside of the bathroom, brush in the bathroom. You know, just to give you an explanation of it, it's like when you flush the toilet, apparently all these are leaving the toothbrush inside the bathroom. And so it's kind of like on this little cabinet right outside the bathroom. So, you know, it, it's probably not even that much of particles that are floating in the air. I like to keep, I don't have to go out, bring it back in, brush my teeth and take it back out. It's like, no, but he's loving on his wife because his wife wants it that way. It's not because he's obligated to his wife. It's because he actually really loves his wife. He's honoring those little things for Sajang, right? View ourselves with God. It's not that we have to fear of thought that, oh, what if his love grows cold if I don't pray enough? You know, it's not first. And out of that overflow of love, we love him. 
that we are able to bless them in that way. That's the main grain of the daily grind that we kind of need to live in. Worshiping and then doing my QT. It's because we love him with want to know more of who he is. That's why we read the Bible. Wow, this is what you're like. I want to love on you more. Therefore, I want to live my life in a certain way. I you. Therefore, I want to live in obedience to you. You see how different your husband or your wife. It's no longer out of obligation, but it's like, wow, you refresh lens on some of the Bible accounts that you might have a certain fixed idea about. Tone is harsh, right? It's like, do not do this. Do not do that. But if you look at God, there's that, that's why he's saying, hey, if you love me, please keep these commandments. Hey, for the first commandment, what? It's like, look, oh, okay, I got to go into the Bible. I'm sorry. I didn't see Lord. The first commandment is that I, uh, you shall have, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above under the earth. Don't make an idol. Don't worship that idol. Don't make any other gods. It might sound, it's more like, hey, I am jealous for you. If you start loving, cheating on a husband, imagine how much that would break a heart. I, the only married person here, imagine if Tina started checking out another guy. How would you feel? And that's why God is saying, hey, don't worship other idols. Why? Because it really, and he says it in the next verse. He says, you shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God. It says, observe. No, no, no. It says, other the Lord your God commanded you in your days. Uh, how shall we put this in a different form? But let's say you shall not murder. Okay. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. Or you shall not bear, bear hurting those that are around you or offending somebody, God's like, hey, just really love. Because that breaks my heart. That hurts me. It could mean that we obey simply because we need to obey, but because the love that we have for God. Another, I heard a sermon a couple years ago on the account. It's a story that's really hard to grasp God's love. But this pastor actually continues to bless me till this day. He said, you know, the account of Noah is not just thinking you guys are evil. I'm just going to wipe you guys off the earth and I'm going to start all over again because I'm God and I can enjoy this love relationship with creation, with the created man in my own image. Trust, there was this brokenness in the relationship where the man started turning to other things, found pleasures in everything other than God. And all these things kind of spiraled out of control. God looks at it, and he's not just being like, oh, these evil suckers, i got to get rid of him. He's like, oh, my God, all these things. I prepared this beautiful meal. I prepared and furnished all this place. Feed any of this if you're not going to love me back. All of this means absolutely a husband so enraged at the thought of his wife. Loving somebody else. I don't need any of this. This is useless without you. I have no use for any of this because you. But then Noah, right? The story of Noah is that he actually delivers some people to continue on with the history that we're living. It's like he looked down at Odo and he remembered. Ah, but, but I still lost again. I'm going to rebuild it and I'm going to rewin you back. I'm going to win your love back. It's about this fierce love that God has for his people. One that is so jealous than him. How to view God and your relationship with God. 
um, you know, there's milestone moments. You're deeply in love with him. You know, you 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 know operate in these gifts, celebrate, but the the daily grind is not as much emphasized, right? You know, of what happened in that relationship, and everything else that's a little boring is all edited out. But it's those parts that really minister for him. In the midst of your busy schedule, if you carve out ten minutes for him. That's the. It's the ten-minute prayer that you have right before you go to bed. It's those moments that he's like, "Oh, I'm going to cherish that moment. Oh, that blesses me. I know that you love me because of those moments." To the heart of God, that's why the Bible continuously says, "Love the Lord." What you do is not about the work that you do or the career that you. It's those love moments that you have. Every single day, that really ministers. You guys will continue to, you know, when you read the Bible and you read these accounts in the bonds of viewing God or Jesus as the bridegroom and you guys as the bride. I don't relationship between a man and a woman. And I think it's so important. It's closer to the end of this time, right? We all know it's going to keep living like this until we die. There's going to be a time where we're actually going to be with him. And the Bible emphasizes this relationship. This relationship is that the church is actually going to really long and yearn for Jesus. But you know what it says? That where it's going to be make you so impossible to really love on God or really difficult and challenging. And I think it's so important that we don't lose sight of the fact. That is why I wanted to give you guys this lens of, wow, God is coming back for his bride. You know, if we look in the Jewish culture, us with the whole narrative of the Bible, um, in the Jewish culture, just to give a very brief, first what would happen is, um, you know, it was like arranged marriages back then. And so the father, uh, who are suitable for his son, when it comes time for his son to get goats and linen and jewelry and all these things to present her, hey, this is our family's wealth. And he seeks the woman, he finds her, he's like, oh, that person is suitable for my master's son. He brings her back to the town and they make a ceremony where before a public crowd, they say, hey, we are going to get like roughly around a year. And what during that period, what it happens is, um, and he builds another separate house that he would live in with his bride and with his future family. And during that banquet, she prepares the garments that she's going to wear on the wedding day. She prepares the garments for the for this marriage day. And now it's really uncertain when the guy is going to come back because to live in, right? And so Jewish scholars would say it takes roughly around a year, but it could be a little less. She has to kind of wait and make sure that she is ready when the bridegroom is coming. One exchange that does happen, and that exchange is the bridegroom would actually give something that is precious to him, and he would give it to the bride-to-be and say, hey, this is my token that I'm coming back for you. Okay. And then later on, like roughly around his party, to the ceremony and the bridal sh- bridal team they're going to be waiting their eyes and they're waiting outside the wedding banquet ceremony and then when they see the bridegroom they announce his of like whoa you know you guys are getting married you eat drink you guys dance and are happy right the father he saw you guys he saw a people group those people i know will be a suitable bride for us to where we are 
to where we are, the dowry. He pays whatever payment for the bride with his blood, with his life. Preparing for us a home to live in for all of eternity. He's preparing that right the day where he can come back to us and sweep us away to his home. He gave us the Holy Spirit to hold on to, to remember, to promise that he will return. That day is coming. So our relationship that we have with God is not just merely one of obedience and of son and daughter relationship layer. But there's also this really important layer that that just brings this whole story into this world room and the church, us as his bride. It's that eternal perspective that we're not just living the here and now, but we're heading to be with an actual person for all, forevermore, for all of eternity. And that there's no sickness. There's always just going to be light. So uh, I want to end by just closing our eyes and um, imagine Jesus as the bridegroom or I know this face, but just like a lover of yours, right? A lover of yours. And imagine I love you. There's nothing that can separate me from the love that you have. How would you, what would you tell back to that person? in together you know I got these furnitures all furnished out for you got this whole future planned together I'm so excited and I can't wait for that day somebody that is that committed to you how would you respond well maybe it could be oh I love you maybe it could be thank you it would actually stir within you this longing of wanting to see that person in his life down for each and every single one of you. And that longing and a yearning. A longing and a yearning that is so deep to engage that person with. So let me pray. Your son. God, it's so amazing that from the very in us, something so worthy that you send your son to us, this promise and this vow to us that he would love us for all eternity, or worse, in sickness and in health, that there would be no parting. We just thank you, Lord, a deeper hunger for you and a yearning. May that change the way that we relate to you. May in your son, how we walk out this Christian walk, may relate to you, God. May it be out of a deep, I just pray that you continue to remind us by the token that you have of, of your return, of your coming back for us, Lord. To you soon, God. We love you. And we thank you.